Well, good morning, everyone. Here with David Rickman. David, you good today, my brother? Yeah, doing good. Awesome. Man, I just want to say this. It's been a it's been a, a real joy for me. I know as well you've said the same and to walk down this road of seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, bro, it's it's a real labor in to labor in the scriptures and then to labor in giving that instruction to others. Yeah. But uh it's worthy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's been so such a gift to have just the back and forth together and then also just the community of people gathering and in the scriptures, you know, and I mean like questions and things that people are uh have brought up just, you know, as they process and and yeah. working through. I mean like so many things that that's just I think it's deepening our confidence in God and trusting him moving forward it's it's been super edifying for me yeah, all man. throughout so well David coming out of Monday night you know I remember at Chili's man I, I looked at you and said brother to me that was flawless and it was seamless in the way that the Lord put that seventh session in your own heart and I was glad to give a little short assistance but man, I, I, I just, brother, I just, it was great. And so, um, you know, you and I have been talking about, uh, things related to session seven and, you know, we, we begin talking through, uh, here's a couple things probably ought to be highlighted just to make sure to keep the big chunks, you know, of what's going on before us. And so this issue that one of the things I mentioned is the mechanism of the covenant, just going back to that thing and just being really clear, you know, the mechanism of the covenant um, that's coming out of, you know, the Sinai covenant, but it's carried over into particularly the book of Deuteronomy, Song of Moses. So, man, just uh, highlight that again for us. Um, and, you know, and and then, you know, let's begin to take that and trace it again through Israel's history, just as a kind of, you know, bring all that together uh, into just a, a short synopsis of where we were Monday night. Yeah, totally. I I think the the language I used for mechanism of the covenant obviously is not, you know, in the scripture itself, but just a, it's a it's a way to try to explain really how Israel um what happens related to the obligations that are in the covenant. Um and so when Israel is faithful to God in the covenant, then the mechanism really plays out that God blesses them. Mm-hmm. You know, God will bless them in the land and all of these promises that we see at the beginning of Deuteronomy 28, you know, all of these like incredible blessings for the nation, right? But then if they are unfaithful and they go after other gods, and really it actually says that they can break the covenant mm-hmm. by doing these things, by going after other gods and and like even what we said before, when that happens, the second table of the law breaks down too. And so all of this social injustice and wickedness kind of horizontally with men happen too. And so when that breaks down, then the mechanism is that God brings about the curses yeah. of the the latter part of Deuteronomy 28. And that the the way that he does that really is by 
we see in the Song of Moses, he raises up these Gentile nations to bring about discipline and and really like chastisement on his people, bringing them down low and uh, and evoking humility and a response out of his people of repentance and and turning to God and and the ultimate view of Deuteronomy 32 has that as this this kind of one it, it really depicts like one thing you know it goes all the way through into this like ultimate humbling to where they are totally shattered you know to use the language of like Daniel talks about the shattering Daniel 12 verse 7 yeah the shattering of the holy people yeah so at like, the end yeah and there's other passages throughout even that you know crazy passage list I had in the notes there's other passages in the prophets talking yeah. about them just being reduced down but it's at that point when God will come with a dramatic you know intervention so to speak uh, and deliver his people and judge those Gentile nations that he used to chastise Israel. He he holds them accountable for their sins in the process of it. And he is does that, fulfills his promise, totally restores Israel in the sight of everybody, and then the the nations and even the gods of those nations witness this event and have to bend their knee before Yahweh, the God of Israel, who is also the God of history. He is the one who is administrating. He has his hand on the helm of history, and he is like administrating this entire story as the God of Israel, you know, and that's what we kind of saw as we even traced these ideas through the Bible some, you know, we obviously it was really... (laughs) Really hard to Speedy Gonzalez, right? Ria, Ria. <laughs> yeah, totally. But, but yeah, this is. I mean, this is really what the scriptures. I mean, it 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 is just this flow of Israel's history, and and when we understand these pieces and we understand the mechanism of the covenant, so to speak, that um, it just helps us understand the outplay of Israel's history as they move forward, they go, enter into the promised land. They, they're faithful to God. God delivers them from their enemies. Like he's blessing them. He's, he's giving them that the land of the Canaanites, you know, even with stretching back to things into Genesis and, mm-hmm. um, and you know, they start to stray. They start to go after other gods and they start to, uh, to look for, you know, the their their blessing in other ways that, than what God has set forth, and so He He punishes them. He brings about the discipline, or He like the some of the big things, the big pieces in Israel's history are the the two big exiles, the exile of the northern kingdom to Assyria, the northern kingdom. Like we said in the survey, they reject. God, the place that God has chosen, they go after the gods up there, and um, they're taken away into Assyria, and and they don't, they're not even, they don't even really return. Yeah. You know, it's like it's just a total. 
going away, so to speak, of and there's not this return of the dedicated ten tribes or whatever, but um, there there's kind of a mix of these tribes and and other peoples that come back into the land, and that becomes eventually like the territory of Samaria that we see in the first century and stuff. But uh, but then the other one is Judah in the south, and there God raises up the Babylonians and and Babylonian armies come in, surround Jerusalem, destroy the city, the temple, and they and they carry off the people into exile, right? And so these are th- these are examples of the mechanism playing out where God raises up these these nations to bring about his judgment on his people, just like he said he would in Moses, you know? And even the prophets are saying, the prophets are interpreting history, you know, leading up to these events on the basis of the covenant. They're using the framework of the covenant to, to understand what's happening currently in their days. And they're just speaking, living life forward, you know, living life in, in a, uh, you know, faith-filled, hope-filled in these promises that God is going to ultimately deliver the nation. And they're not like stepping out and, you know, doing this whole thing of like, you can't step out of your own experience and say, well, these promises are, you know, some of these promises were fulfilled here partially, and then maybe the rest of them were fulfilled in the future, whatever. We kind of do that when we look at history. We look backwards, you know. But these guys are living forward and they're just prophesying about what's to come. And a lot of what's to come is still yet to come. It's still these oracles were are driving to an ultimate day when God will fulfill these promises, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, that kind of helps us understand the framework as you move through the Tanakh of, you know, the, his, the outplay of the history and that. So many of these covenant promises, like we looked at as you even went through like Davidic covenant and new covenant and stuff, is like these promises, they weren't fulfilled yes. in history. I mean, they still await future fulfillments because the they're just so dramatic, yeah. you know? And it's like, uh, you know that, wow, this this didn't happen yet, you know? And so that's... That helps us understand why even when they come back, it's like not even seen as a, 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 a as a total fulfillment of what's going on. Like it's like, well, we're we're back in the land, and the covenant is still the same thing, and then the mechanism is still in place, and the stakes are still high. You know. Yes. Um, it just hits me again, David, that uh, the land covenant with Abraham, mm-hmm. future never been fulfilled, you know, them in their land, never to be uprooted again. So we're of course waiting for that. A man sitting on David's throne that we recognize from like Luke one, um, that it is indeed this one that's been born of Mary, that he would sit on that throne. Well, he, he was crucified where he was resurrected, sent back to heaven, but he's not sitting on that throne, you know, in the land promised Abraham. And then the fact that the nation of Israel, you know, as a nation, they have to receive that new covenant and be restored 
in that land with Messiah on that throne in Jerusalem. So it, that itself just, you know, really helps us maintain the Jewish narrative that the covenants are unfulfilled and God is true to his word. And so um, that, you know, that helps continue to keep the framework before us, you know. Mm-hmm. And as we, we think through that, I, I, we were chatting early day about Nehemiah in chapter 9. You know, it's yeah. just like, man, he, here's that whole thing playing out in a passage again. Here it is. And it helped us, um, you know, look at that passage and begin moving toward, man, uh, even back in the land, um, uh, in Nehemiah, there's been the, you know, the temple's been rebuilt, Nehemiah's building the walls, but it's like, man, where is our hope? Where is our restoration? You know, and they're beginning to grapple with questions, but man, take us in a, a little bit in this Nehemiah in chapter nine, and let's look at that. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, these, the exiles returned and they're like praying to the Lord, and um, and so... Uh, if you look at Nehemiah, and this is a long chapter, verse 6 through all the way through the end of the chapter, um, 5 and 6, beginning there. But um, he starts praising God. He says, you alone are Yahweh. You've made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth, the earth that's all that's on it, the seas. You give life to all them. The heavenly host bows down before you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram. You brought him out from Ur of the Chaldees, gave him the name Abraham. So he's recounting the history. I mean, uh, you found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, the Girgashite, to give it to, to his descendants. You fulfilled your promise. You're righteous. Like he gives them a portion in the land, right? But... We know that even like Abraham, according to the boundaries that were set, right. I mean, he, he's not, he's not like fulfilled those, those extent of those boundaries, you know, but the faith, the faithfulness of God to even bring Abram to that land, you know, and, and bring the nation, you know, he promises them that land and even his descendants go down to Egypt and then they come back up and, and actually are given that land through the nation, right? Yes. After Deuteronomy, they're starting to to take portions of this, but and we know, you know, the, regarding the extent of the borders, we already kind of covered that some. But then he goes into Egypt and he talks about the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and how God delivers His people from Pharaoh and and all of these things, and it even uh, mentions one of the the things that we see as God administrating history is that, um, that God, um, is working related to his people. And he even, you know, brings Gentiles into account in relation to his people. Like even here, he says, uh, signs and wonder verse 10, he performs signs and wonders against Pharaoh against all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them. They and made made a name for yourself as it is this day. So he divides the sea, he delivers his people. Um, and then 13, he, he came down on Sinai, spoke with them from heaven, gave them ordinances, laws, statutes, commandments, made him know the, the Sabbath, which is the, you know, the sign of the Mosaic covenant and, 
through everything through your servant Moses here. But in 16, our fathers acted arrogantly. They became stubborn. They wouldn't listen to your commandments, refused to listen, did not remember what you did in Egypt. And it says, but you're a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness. You did not forsake them. 18, even when they made for themselves a, a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You and your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the fire by night. You gave your, your good spirit to instruct them. You gave them manna, like all of these things, right? His, his provision and care. His faithfulness. Yeah, to just care for the nation through through all of these things, right? Um, and even giving them the peoples of the land to their territories as they as they go into the land, right? All the way through, you know, the the twenties here and in in, in uh, twenty one through through twenty five, they're capturing these these territories uh, and part of the the land of the Canaanites and all these people, right? And and then we get back into, you know, they, they begin to enjoy the the benefits of the land. And then in 26, they became disobedient, rebelled against you, and cast your law behind their backs. They killed your prophets, the guys who were calling them to the covenant, you know, to, to cling to God. They killed them so that these prophets are, saying, are prophesying so they may return to him and they're committing blasphemies. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their oppressors who oppressed them. But when they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven, and according to your great compassion, you gave them deliverers and delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. But as soon as they had rest, they did evil again. So it's just like this cycle back and forth. He's just recounting the framework of the of what happens with the nation. So... God abandons them in 20, verse 28. God abandons them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. They cry out again, yet he rescues them. You know, and over and over here, this is just kind of like a continued repetition of, of what's going on. And he says, you know, you bore with them for many years, admonished them with your spirit through your prophets, but they would not give ear. And so, therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. And um, in 32, uh, it says here, Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardship seem in, insignificant before you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. All the way back to the the beginning, kind of first exile, the northern kingdom, through the second, the the exile of uh, of the Babylon. Babylon and Judah, and he says, "You are just in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law, or paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions." with which you admonish them. But they, in their own kingdom, with your great goodness, which you gave them, with the broad and rich land you set before them, they didn't serve you or turn from their evil deeds. Behold, we are slaves today, 
And as to the land which you gave our fathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty, we are slaves in it. So they're back in the land, but they're slaves in their own land. Wow. You know, and it says here, uh, its abundance produce is, is for the kings, not for us. We can't enjoy it. Whom you've set over us because of our sins. These, these Gentile rulers that you've set over us, they rule over our bodies, our cattle as they please. So we are in great distress and they're, and they're seeking to make a covenant, you know, reiterate this covenant promise with God again as they move into the, the land and they even as as you move forward in Nehemiah they bring up like they're reading the, Moses yeah. to the nation and it's all built on that framework and of the desire to be faithful to God in the land because something's wrong that that they're being ruled over in their land right wow man the mechanism of the covenant is playing out again and again and again mm-hmm. But the promises of restoration is what they're grappling with because that which was promised is not in our midst. We're back in the land. You know, we, we have our walls back up. We have the temple established again. And yet that which you've promised is, is unfulfilled. Yeah. You know, it's long awaited hope is not in our midst. And what do you, what do you do with that? Right. Right. Yeah. And and that's, you know, like what we brought up in the session, these grappling with these promises, it it really drives a lot of the questions that a lot of people are asking as, you know, this is towards the end of the Tanakh. But um, as as you move into the histories leading up to uh, the first century, you know, there's, there's just different groups that are just continuing to grapple with this, you know, of being oppressed in the land and that the promises, these, these dramatic things are, are not fulfilled for the nation. And so, um, that whole thing of, you know, do we need to participate to fulfill the promises? Does something depend on us besides just being, you know, obviously, according to the covenant, they need to be obedient to God, right? But is there something that is dependent on us to, for God to, like, fulfill them? And uh, and so they're going about it, looking for answers, and some of those answers just end up basically enforcing human strength. Yeah. And, and yeah. it actually ends up uh, straying from trusting Yahweh to, to fulfill the promises like he said, with these, like, he will intervene. He will, he will deliver. And these kind of by, ideas by the arm of the Lord, yeah. not the strength or the arm of man. Right? Yeah, totally. They did. This helped me so much when I understood the grappling of these questions, why these quote religious sects, you know, in the new Testament are rising up because they're trying to produce that, that restoration and, and, let me find my way, you know, let, let, let us, let us try to enter into some hum, human participation through, you know, as we discussed Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Essenes. Can we bring about that restoration by our goodness, by our piety? You know, it helped me so much to frame and understand what's going on with these. When you enter in to the New Testament, why Jesus seems to constantly have contention with these. And I know this is, this is for future future yeah. sections uh, going forward in the next series, but 
Anyway, I think that helps us, man, as you read in your New Testament to understand this backdrop. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I, and I think that like one thing that's interesting that that I've been thinking about is is that when humans try to participate in fulfilling these these promises, it's always like said to be like a progressive thing. Mm-hmm. It's always like God's progressively filling fulfilling his promise to this. But really what that kind of means is is that uh, it just shows like how weak human beings are. Mm-hmm. And the the idea of like, well, we're we're kind of doing it. And if we just do better, then they'll become realized more or something like this, yes. you know? Yes. And and really that's not the way that the scriptures envision the fulfillment of these promises, you know? It's not that Israel returns to the land in just progressive waves of, you know, people gathering people like folks and like, you know, like these kind of ideas of the restoration of like that's that restoration is just going to outplay over 20 years of revival or something like this. Like it's not like that. It actually is these dramatic Yahweh comes and delivers his people and lifts up a standard to the Gentiles and says, bring them back. And all the Gentiles are streaming and bringing them back. I mean, like, because the Gentiles see his dramatic deliverance, right? Right. These kind of things are what's going on. And so Yahweh is jealous to be the only one exalted in the restoration, not, you know, human beings having a stake in what's happening, you know, like because of their strength. And so... Um, it's just, it's just funny because I think that we, that we have a tendency to try to participate and try to involve ourselves because we want to like justify our, ourself in it, you know, some way, you know, and, um, and that's just, uh, I think that even speaks to kind of what's innate in human beings, you know, like in the heart, um. That, that helps me, David, because I think, like I was meeting with John William Blackwell this morning, and we were just discussing these matters, you know, sharpening one another. And, and it came, John made this statement, and it, it like really highlighted everything to me, kind of like response mm, yeah. related to everything we heard Monday night. And, and John made this simple statement. He says, you know, regarding the restoration, either we reinterpret it in the New Testament and throughout church history, and that's the progressiveness of it, or we wait. We reinterpret or we wait until Yahweh does it by the strength of his arm, you know. So, man, anyway, anything around that for you in your mind, re- reinterpret or wait? I think that's a great statement, man. Yeah, totally. And, and I think that that... Um, that really encapsulates what, you know, even even Gentiles entering into the story is you're entering into a story that that is one of waiting and hope for Yahweh to be faithful to what he said. Like, I mean, that's what that's what it's about. Like you enter into this thing, you turn from your other gods, you turn from allegiance and you worship only Yahweh, the God of Israel, right? exclusively. You're drawn near by by the Messiah, and you worship God exclusively. But it's like you're entering into the story that 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 is attention, 
between promise and fulfillment. That's good. The tent, enter into what said again. We're, we're entering into a Jewish narrative, the God's story. Yeah. That's that that's has a tension within it between the promises that were made and the fulfillment of those. Yeah. Dude, that said so well to me. That's that's really good, David. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what that helps us like you know, re, I mean, we're not we're not the center of the story, sure. you know? And we enter into the tension, but it helps us attach ourselves to the fact that man, God is he is faithful and reliable and trustworthy to do what he said like he said it, you know, it's not like uh, he he s- spoke this one thing and now he's going to do it this entirely other way that's all, revol- all revolved around us, you know, like yeah. that's that kind of ends up being a lot of Gentile narratives. It's yes. like things get turned around and that now we're the center of the story. Now the covenant is all built around us and and actually it's up to us to realize yeah. the promises, wow. you know, and it's like this it it totally strays yes from what has been set forth and it's like well where where does it get redefined you know and a lot of times you you can't identify that because it's not there it doesn't it's not it it doesn't connect to what has happened beforehand and so um so hopefully you know just that that we come away with this time you know, through this class, even just like getting anchored in what is the story from the beginning and, and having seen God's faithful commitments and these promises so that as we move forward, we, we don't, you know, if you're moving from the other way, you're not grounded with a foundation yes. to, to be able to interpret a lot of things. And so as we move forward, we have a consistent progression of the story that we can cling to God's faithfulness, you know, and, and see it as we move into uh, what, what unfolds as Jesus comes in confirmation of this story, Yeah, man. you know, and that kind of thing. David, I'm reminded of our good buddy, uh, Bill Schofield, who says, you know, if you hit a snag in, in your Bible, you know, always go left. And so this is why I think these studies in Torah have been so profound, even plumb lining for us, you know. And I, I think, Dave, you and I were talking just a little bit ago, um, if we were to, you know, kind of some of these concluding remarks, like the big, kind of the big elements, mm-hmm. you know, the big, the, the big bricks that go into the foundation. And, and one of those for sure, and I remember when you made the statement and I was like, whoa, it, it it just reminded me, you know, like the backstory of the three rebellions, of course, but the, the, the way Yahweh is going to was, there was a universal seeming uh, for 2000 years, this universal administration of history. And then, you know, moving from Genesis 10, 11 to Genesis 12, there's like this, this sudden, almost, it's almost like Yahweh puts on the brakes and skids, you know, and just, and there, and there's this moving from the universal administration to a particular administration through this one man, mm-hmm. through his seed in in a land promised to him, through his lineage that will ultimately be Israel, through David's family to Messiah, you know, into 
the New Testament. So, man, that that piece of reckoning for us, submitting, you know, coming to this place of this being a major quote, kind of a linchpin of of shifting from that Genesis ten uh, eleven to Genesis twelve. Man, from the universal to the particular, you know, that we, we just saw that as such a huge piece, man. Any thought or comment on that? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we've hit it you know, over and over <laughs> yeah. and over again, you know, but it, I, I think that, that that is a huge piece. I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of times we don't understand the backstory of what happens and then the administration of God handing the nations over to these other other beings to administrate them and him choosing this one nation. And then all those other nations are in his heart to draw to himself, you know, and he's, and he's saying, you know what, I am going to bless those nations through Abraham and I'm going to draw those nations through. But this, again, you kind of have that a mechanism there for the nations, you know, not a mechanism of the covenant, like what we talked about for the, for Israel, but a mechanism kind of there is that, the nations have to humble themselves to God's choice, and they have to to humble themselves to the fact that God chose Abraham, he chose this nation, and he identifies himself as the God of this nation. Wow. And so they have to turn from their gods, humble themselves as, as not being the center of the story, Man. and cling to this God in the midst of an age where, you know, all the nations are going after their, their own gods, you know, and it makes Gentiles turning to Israel's God actually a really weird deal because it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like Israel's like, well, this is, this is our God. What are you doing here? And then all the Gentiles are like, you're turning from your ancestral gods and that's like treason. So what do you like? It creates these identities late. And we'll see more of that later as we move into the new Testament. But um, but that kind of ha- is the framework for yeah. what's going on. And God has the intention of, of dealing with the universal through this particular. Mm-hmm. And David, this phrase comes to my mind. Um, we must come to Yahweh on his terms, yeah. not our terms. Yeah. That's really, to me, is like, that's what's going on here. And man, it requires incredible humility. Submission and obedience to His way, but man, there's where the blessing is. Yeah, you know. So, phew. yeah. Well, man, the other the other kind of linchpin we we've recognized as well, David, is that uh, the Sinai Covenant, and it's it, at 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 Sinai. We, you know, some would call it the the Mosaic Covenant, but that which happened in Exodus nineteen twenty and was reiterated, established at Sinai, reiterated uh, by the Jordan River after 40 years of wandering. And it was a reiteration with that next generation because they're getting ready to go into the land. Even in that, I just see the goodness of God and his faithfulness that he'd reiterate his covenant again because he wants them. He's for Israel. He's for his people. He wants them to obey. But he also knows that he must put you know, blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. But the fact that he reiterates it after 40 years with the next generation through Moses, passing the baton to Joshua, getting ready to go into the land. But this this framework of uh, the mechanism of the covenant, you know, from Sinai reiterated by the Jordan River, 
Um, and, and, and just this thought that God, you know, God's, uh, God controls and he, he administrates history throughout the entire Bible, even currently yeah. unto, you know, this future restoration that's coming based on the covenant. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it flows throughout the whole scripture. And we saw just as in our simple survey of it, but, um, but really, I mean, you know, this is a, a Jewish book, yeah. you know, this is a, this whole book is about Israel and the unfolding of their history because of that first choice, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the, the Genesis 12, yeah. then moving forward at the nation and, and this, this administration is happening on the covenant. So the prophets are building on the covenant. I mean, even the writings, uh, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time with this and, and, and in the writings, there's not like as much yeah. you know, straight up covenantal illusion or whatever, but, but it's even, actually, but even when you brought up Kings were to read Torah yeah, and administrate the kingdom in Israel, yeah. you know, by way of the covenant. Yeah. That was huge, man. Yeah, totally. And, and I mean, in the writings, even it's like Psalm one yeah. opens up with this. Yeah. This is the ideal, uh, righteous man, the ideal righteous King. Who's going to do the Psalm too. You know, it's like, this is the one who who is meditating on the Torah of God and is planted like a tree beside the waters and all this stuff, right? And mm-hmm. through the writings, it there's instruction related to right uh, walking out of life, you know that that is in accord with with being faithful to God and His covenant, you know. And so all the way through, it's just it shapes the narrative and. And even what, it, you know, a lot of people, Gentile narratives that see the covenant as kind of like, there's just two of them, yeah. you know, and there's the new and the old, right? And uh, and those who, who see that framework, it's like, well, God used to work through the old covenant, and now God works through the new covenant. And it's like, you know, there's actually a whole lot more going on, and the the issues with that too is that actually God is administrating history in relation to the old covenant to Mosaic covenant with the nation, even today, even because why? Because the restoration promised of the new covenant that's supposed to, to come and deal with the what's happening in the old covenant, that restoration has yet to come, Yes, you know, because the new covenant actually removes that mechanism of discipline with the nation because they're given a new heart to right. never walk away from God ever again. Yes. They're given totally purged. Sin is taken away from them. And so there's no more mechanism to kick them out of the land because they're going to be faithful to God in the land forever. Wow. You know, and so the fact that, you know, that that has yet to happen, Yes, it informed what took place in Nehemiah's day when they returned is that they're back in the land, but the covenant is still in place and the mechanism is still there and the nation still, you know, walks variously in their, in their obedience to God and God, there's other historical expulsions of the land, like what we've seen in, you know, the, the first century that took place then but even returning present day, 
in history. Yes. They're returning to the land, and and Israel lives in the land now, but they don't live in the in the land with the new covenant promises already so fulfilled. Are you, you know? are you saying, David? And I know you are, <laughs> but that the modern state of Israel is not the future restored kingdom that we know is promised according to this Jewish narrative. Right. There it is. Go. Yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, it is not the restoration. Yeah. And and there are various groups who who believe it is and they believe that it is progressively being restored. Yes. But that's not what the prophets and the framework of the covenant with Moses actually outlines. Yeah. And so uh, Israel's return to the land while they're in covenant and the mechanism of blessing and curses is, is currently in force. Yes. It means that in the future, there's going to be response to real covenant disobedience or injustice, you know. Which would include covenant discipline, covenant curses, and expulsion from the land one more time. Yeah, God this is how God administrates his his commitment with the nation and he's faithful to apply discipline mm. as much as he's faithful to apply blessing, awesome. right? Yes. And so ultimately that has to happen to bring about the humbling mm -hmm. and the deliverance of them and him being exalted in the sight of everybody. Psalm, uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy 32. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. And so that, that just, uh, you know, mm -hmm. it helps us even see what's going on as we're brought into this tension of the story and we're longing for the restoration to take place in the future in our day. You know what I mean? Like wow. we're, God is, yes, brother. the God of Israel is going to come on a day. Where, you know, like we read that quote, so powerful. It's yeah. like that day as if it's the only day in all of history that's worth counting, you know? Yes. I mean, that that is what's coming. We're anticipating. Yeah. Expecting. Yeah. I think about the New Testament says we're to, we're to be looking, uh, longing and loving the appearing of Jesus. Because it's at his appearing, the, the restoration of these things will finally come at the day of the Lord. Yeah. David, I, man, I'm, I've been uh, sitting here just reminded of this thought. Uh, you and I have heard this statement. Uh, I think it's probably even more than. Uh, but we've heard that there's uh, at somewhere maybe approximately over 100 uh, passages or 100 chapters in the Bible that have as their prominent theme the in times or eschatology. I think this is very interesting that lets us know how much of the scriptures are about in time, one discipline unto an in time restoration. Mm -hmm. And it's promised throughout, you know, the Torah, throughout the prophets and the writings into what the apostle spoke, Jesus, you know, Peter, Paul, the apostle John, you know, this is just a consistent framework that there is a, quote, end time or eschatological discipline for Israel called Jacob's trouble, great tribulation, great distress in their own land, mm -hmm. like Luke 21, 20 to 24, but unto the restoration where they would never 
you know, they'll receive Messiah. They will um, enter into the new covenant, never to be uprooted from their land ever again. Yeah. This is the promised restoration that we await. Yeah, totally. And and as Gentiles who have been brought near to these promises and, and brought into this story, you know, in our little, you know, small part, you know, it, it's like we have attached ourselves to these promises, th this God and this people. So we are not this people. Not know? just the Jewish hope, right? This is a Gentile's hope. Yeah. And it shifts your mind, you know, toward a future reality. Right. Yeah. And, and so we attach ourselves to like our deliverance is to come at when God delivers this nation. And so we're like living in the tension of God, uh, of these promises being yet to be fulfilled and, and we're like god have mercy like yes. draw your people vindicate your name like mm -hmm. these are the things that we enter into even as gentiles in the midst of this story and it's like we have to stand here in in the the line of those promises and like i mean god is raising up i believe he's raising up gentiles to to even give witness to israel for uh, like the prophets calling them to the covenant, you know, even just, you know, not not in the same, you know, level as what we see in the scriptures, obviously. But it's like just a testimony of the fact that that God has had mercy on Gentiles and he's and he's taking from among the the nation's people for his name alongside of his nation. And we have to, like, stand with this consistent story and not be those that redefine it or imagine ourselves like God's just going to play this story out for Israel and we're going to be all out of here and not in, have any, you know, thing to do with what's happening because God has a separate story for us. And it's like, these ideas are just crazy. They're not, they're not faithful to what has come before. Yes. And so part of it is just staying in that reliance on God, being trustworthy to his promises. Like, He's going to fulfill what he said, just like he said he would, you know, so. Amen, brother. David, the, the, this time has been so, it's been a real joy. Yeah. And, and, and on the other side, I think uh, kind of the flip of the coin is a sobering. Yeah. You know, it's very sobering what, what, what we're discussing here, what we're hearing and just a lot, my brother. Man, I, I want to make a closing comment, and then I'd love for you anything on your mind because we're uh, this is the end of series uh, of uh, studies in Torah uh, session seven podcast. Um, I I just want to uh, put this out to our listeners and encourage each of you to uh, just keep your eye on email or or uh, you know Vox or whatever, but that we will be in touch uh, probably sometime in the month of uh, October. We will be looking at this. These are the, the big ideas in my mind as David and I have been discussing. How do we maintain this Jewish narrative working through some of the intertestamental literature between the quote, the Old and the New Testament during those 400 years? How do we look at those materials that inform a first century Jewish mind? That's going to be a large piece. And then I think we're going to be looking at some of. Uh, the 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 main players and theologians 
uh, I think we need to touch some of this, like Augustine, Luther, Calvin. We want to look at some of those main players throughout church history that have formed so much of uh, of our theology and eschatology over the years and ask them, ask some very difficult questions. Uh, are they and are we maintaining the Jewish narrative even through church history? Not So we want to maintain the Jewish narrative um, in the first century, coming out of um, understanding what's going on between the Old and New Testament. And then we want to maintain a Jewish narrative throughout church history as we move toward the end of the age. So this is some of the things David and I are going to attempt to grapple with and be studying toward as we move toward October. We'll keep you guys posted. But we've been it's been a blast and we are we're very thankful for you guys as a community uh that we can walk together and you know as best as possible uh help be a light of these things uh among you guys so we love you bless you amen i don't have much to add i just (laughs) so good sounds like a lot of work sounds like a lot of fun i'm looking forward to it and uh yeah it's been uh so great to be in community with you guys and um, just to have that that mutual encouragement as we as we you know move forward in this and cling to God and His faithfulness to these things and and encourage one another as we wait you know we need yeah. that so uh, yeah blessings and grace to you each of you guys and one last piece guys I would encourage um, even Dave and I keep our eyes on our Voxer daily. So if there's uh, upcoming questions, we would encourage or dialogue, just uh, throw some things up on the Voxer in that group, and we can listen together and continue to dialogue around some of these materials. God bless. Amen. Amen.